In the suburb of Chatswood in the north of Sydney, there's a multi-leveled warehouse where a boxing class takes place on the ground floor. This isn't your average training session. It's boxing with a difference. But the story of how this class came to be starts in a pharmacy. Uh, I was a pharmacist and I had a pharmacy at French's Forest. This is Adrian. I had a very big surgical area and one day a young lady came in and asked for some bandages. And because there was all sorts of bandages, I said, well, what do you need them for? She said, not for wounds, but I'm learning how to box and uh, I needed them to wrap my hands. I said, oh, that's interesting. So at this point, Adrian was already working out, but in normal gyms, and he was bored of them. He was looking for something a bit more exciting. And uh, she told me about this fellow who's just down the road from the pharmacy. And I said, oh, I might go down and see what it's all about. And down the road, he found this 19-year-old guy running a boxing class out of his dad's garage. He was an up-and-coming boxer, amateur boxer. But uh, he was attacked one night down at Manly, hit, hit over the head with a brick. And that set up an epilepsy. His neurologist told him he couldn't do any activities that put his head at risk, and that included boxing. And he was wise for his age, and he didn't. So he went out and got a licence to teach boxing. So at the age of 50, Adrian turned up wanting to learn how to box. He looked me up and down and didn't want to have anything to do with me, I think. (laughs) But uh, he said, oh, we'll give it a go. That was 20 years ago, and Adrian still boxes. And I I really enjoy it. It's very challenging. But what I didn't know uh, was the effect it would have later in my life on my Parkinson's. I'm Nina Kopel, and this is Think Health. Adrian knew what Parkinson's disease was before he was diagnosed with it. My dad had Parkinson's and lived for 25 years or so in a wheelchair. So when Adrian started to get symptoms of the disease, he had a pretty good idea what was causing them. Getting an official diagnosis was a bit harder. The diagnosis of Parkinson's disease is not an easy diagnosis. It's more a diagnosis of omission than commission. So they go through all the things that it isn't and mark those off and what you're left with is Parkinson's. This can be a lengthy process, largely because we're still coming to terms with what the disease is in the first place. Parkinson's disease is thought to be due to the loss of neurons or nerve cells in a part of the brain that controls This is Bryce Vissell. He's the director of the Centre for Neuroscience and Regenerative Medicine at the University of Technology, Sydney. And I called him up to get a better understanding of exactly what Parkinson's disease is. These nerve cells are called dopamine nerve cells. Because they produce dopamine. And this dopamine plays a role in regulating our movement in a very profound way. Which means the consequences of this neurological disease aren't contained within the brain. A number of scientists now believe that 
Parkinson's also has effects on the body. For example, nerve cells can affect bowel function. The bottom line is that there is damage to the nervous system and the change in the nervous system in the brain and potentially in the body leads to potentially debilitating symptoms as the disease progresses. One of the first symptoms people with Parkinson's disease start to notice is a type of shake. Disease is often described as a disease of tremor, where people show a rhythmic shake in their hands, for example. And this was one of the first things Adrian started to notice. My wife noticed the tremor in my thumb, actually, when I was having uh, breakfast. This was years and years ago. So I went to a neurologist and uh, he said, look, at this stage we can only call it what's known as an essential tremor, a tremor of unknown cause, but we can't say for sure. But then he started to notice other symptoms. Often people will say the first thing that happened to them was they lost their sense of smell. As a pharmacist, I, I actually went and did perfume courses years ago and uh, I could describe a perfume just, just give me a whiff under my nose and I can say oh yes it's uh, florally or it's citrus or uh, tobacco like or whatever uh, now I could very crudely I could stand in a lift with a dozen other people and if they all passed wind at once <laughs> unless I could hear it <laughs> I wouldn't know it happened but there's also a whole range of dis disorder problems that occur, I should say, including lack of sleep. So I might go to bed at uh, 10 o'clock, I'm awake by midnight, and um, I sometimes can't get back to sleep. Stiffness, and ultimately there are problems with initiating movement. Other symptoms include urinary problems, facial stiffness, which can lead to dribbling and drooling, cognitive decline. Uh, slow onset of dementia, basically. Effects on speech, on mood. As it progresses, it's a quite, quite a debilitating disorder. And then one, one morning I woke up and I was shaking like a leaf all over. And uh, my, my steps were, um, were uh, not good. And I said... Um, uh, I better go and see about this. And it was diagnosed then because I had more symptoms. So Adrian received his diagnosis, but not a cure, because there isn't one. We are living in many ways in a very dark box of not really understanding or truly understanding brain function and as a consequence of that we don't really understand disease. There was once a time where Parkinson's disease was treated with bloodletting from the neck. There was also a procedure where a substance would be applied to your skin to cause blistering and corks would then be inserted to get a discharge of pus. So we've made some progress since then. From the days of bloodletting, actually, in the 50s and 60s, there was a discovery that if a part of the brain was removed, it led to the loss of some of the Parkinson's symptoms. This was an important discovery because it meant that there's a part of the brain that becomes overactive with Parkinson's disease and that limiting or restoring or even removing that part of the brain can be a way of treating Parkinson's.
Um, since then, there's been a move towards more sophisticated inactivation of brain regions, and that's using something called deep brain stimulation. Deep brain stimulation is where they send pulses of electrical stimulation to parts of the brain. For some people, this can alleviate symptoms, but it doesn't work for everyone, and in a small number of cases, it leads to side effects like seizures, bleeding, or infection. So now there's uh, increasing interest in a technique which is called ultrasound, and it's guided by very sophisticated MRI machines, and doctors can now begin to delete or ablate or destroy parts of the brain in a very, very precise and specific way and potentially help the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. This seems like leaps and bounds since the days of bloodletting. But we're still talking about treatments here, not cures. Adrian knew there was no cure for Parkinson's disease. And because of his dad, he also had first-hand experience of what Parkinson's disease could do to the body and to the mind. So uh, getting back to my diagnosis, so we went to the docs and uh, he said, yes, you've, you've got Parkinson's. And I said to my wife, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to stay out of a wheelchair. And so years went by and Adrian continued to live his life almost as normal. Now, what was interesting was that my symptoms weren't progressing. And I couldn't understand why. I know that some people do, do it uh, slowly, but this is slower than slow. This was going on for years with nothing really happening. So you think, well, have I got Parkinson's? Is the diagnosis correct? Adrian sold his pharmacy and went on some overseas adventures with his wife. But in terms of his body and his mind, they didn't seem to change that much at all. I, I said, look, I'm going to keep myself active, and I kept on the boxing. And he started to wonder if it was the boxing that was having an impact on the progression of his symptoms. The best I could work out was it was the exercise. But he wasn't sure until one day he was on YouTube and came across this video. Parkinson's disease usually brings to mind tremors and muscular weakness. It's a battle with their bodies as they fight the effects of Parkinson's disease. At a gym in Indianapolis, some Parkinson's patients are discovering they have remarkable physical and mental strength. One man has found a powerful way of fighting back. And it was all about a boxing uh, gymnasium in America that was helping Parkinson's patients. And I thought this is very odd because most people associate boxing with damaging the brain and causing Parkinson's. Some even say it was boxing that led Muhammad Ali to develop Parkinson's. And here was this group in the US using boxing as a treatment for the disease. We have a lot of great people that are participating in Rocksteady Boxing. I'm constantly impressed by how much they have to contribute to this community. And uh, then they announced they were having a course for anyone who would like to learn their secrets and take it back to their communities and uh, introduce them to the benefits of boxing. So Adrian went off to the US to see what he could learn. I found out that the, uh, the vigorous activity, uh, the combination of that, and we now call it forced exercise, where you push yourself outside your comfort zone, and repetitive, which boxing is, and complex 
uh, all the movements you're doing are very complex. You're moving more than two parts, you're thinking, you're dancing around, punching, um, bleeding, <laughs> not really. One of the things that can happen when you have Parkinson's disease is an impairment of your brain's neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity being a key element in your brain's ability to generate new neurons and lay down memories. So it's pretty important. And Adrian learnt that sports like boxing can help maintain it. And this was astounding, uh, finally, because physiotherapists and doctors would treat their Parkinson patients with cotton wool. They'd wrap them up in, in uh, bubble wrap and cotton wool and don't you hurt yourself, don't go too fast, do that. Well, that was all wrong. The best thing is to get a chair and a whip and, <laughs> and get them dancing and uh, prancing around the place. Vigorous activity. So we know for managing a lot of chronic conditions, neurodegenerative or otherwise, Physical activity and exercise is very important and one of, I guess, the public health strategies that can actually manage a condition before you get to that critical stage that you need a lot more medical input. This is Serene Paul. She's a health science researcher at the University of Sydney. Specifically the discipline of physiotherapy. Which means she's a good person to speak with about whether or not boxing and exercise can in fact slow the symptoms of Parkinson's. As far as Parkinson's disease goes, um, the evidence is really demonstrating that long before people get Parkinson's disease, if they're more physically active, it actually reduces their risk of getting Parkinson's. And the evidence is also demonstrating more and more that high levels of exercise might actually protect the brain against further degeneration that, I guess, exacerbates the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. When Adrian went off to the US, he learned all about this the connection between exercise and Parkinson's disease. And he decided to bring this knowledge home, to share it with others in the community. I got a, um, a trial group going. We advertised for people with Parkinson's to come for a session. And we got about 12 people, which is what we wanted. And for six weeks, we twice a week, no charge to them. They were the guinea pigs. Well, I didn't expect to see anything for months, really. Uh, not within that six-week period. But after two or three weeks, I had one lady come up to me and she said, my husband has not been able to put on his shoes and socks or tie his laces for two or three years now since he's had Parkinson's. After doing two or three weeks here, he's been able to do that. Now, that's a very small step for a man, but... Uh, but uh, it was, it's like a pretty big step. It, it is. It's a very, I, I was teary. <laughs> I thought, this is wonderful. After his trial, Adrian started a group called Punch and Parkos, which has been running boxing classes for people with Parkinson's disease ever since. And it's almost time for today's class to begin. Another two minutes and then they'll call them to order. Which gives me just enough time to chat with a few people as they walk into the gym. Can you just explain to me what you're doing with your hands right now? I'm basically wrapping my hand. Uh, Patrick is a, a very strong, fast, vicious man. Actually, I'm quite frustrated when I compare to many years ago. Yeah. A lot of things I can't do. The first thing, I just burst in tears. I'm now gradually getting a, bit, a little it's bit... good, this guy. He's being very modest. 
And you enjoy the classes? I do, I do. I like sports. Basically, that's my, I like it. But I'm more interested and like is the people here. We support each other. The class starts with a gentle movement. Their trainer making sure their muscles are warm enough on this cold winter's day. Now just walking, guys, and we're going to be throwing some straight punches, staying nice and warm. Um, these are the ones. There's a group two, threes, and fours. They virtually do the same sort of exercise, but at different intensities. So this is higher intensity. This will be a higher intensity, and this is just calm at the moment. But uh, it gets. It should get a lot harder and faster as the time goes on. So if people with Parkinson's get into the habit of exercising as soon as possible after diagnosis, we know from the evidence that it can actually help slow the progression of their symptoms. Exercise alone won't cure Parkinson's, just like the medications control the symptoms but don't cure it. But we know that relative to people who don't exercise, those who do exercise generally have a slower progression of their symptoms. Once their disease advances to the stage that it gets quite difficult to move, the types and nature of exercise does have to change to accommodate each person's ability. One of the things that comes along with Parkinson's and its impact on the body is falling. Up to two thirds of people with Parkinson's will fall at least once a year. And the large majority of them, anywhere from about 30 to 60% of people with Parkinson's end up falling multiple times. Some of them fall so often that they fall multiple times each day. And this can have a psychological impact as well. If you're falling, which then causes people to restrict their activity, restrict how much they engage in life. But falling is actually something physical activity can help to address. So if you can get them early and target that balance problem with exercise so that people improve their balance, it generally translates to reduced falls. Work, guys. Do well. Keep it up. But like the treatments we were talking about before, the surgery, the deep brain stimulation, at the end of the day, physical activity is just a treatment, not a cure. And medication still has an important role to play. So medications for people with Parkinson's are currently still first line of defence. They're the main form of managing the symptoms. When it comes to exercise, we know that exercise can confer benefits on top of the medications. But what's really important for a person with Parkinson's to do is to actually do any of their rehabilitation or exercise therapy while well medicated. So when the medications are working optimally so that they're actually moving as well as possible and thinking clearly and not having to battle those Parkinson's symptoms that can cause fatigue or then compromise their safety. Adrian says he's careful with this, making sure his medication works with his physical therapy. But he has days where this is easier said than done. It's in the last couple of years I've found that um, from the inside um, the disease is advancing. What do you mean by in the inside? From the inside. Uh, I can feel I'm a bit more stiff. I'm probably having uh, a lot more what I call off days where it doesn't matter what medication I've taken, they don't kick in properly. So, and there's just nothing you can do about it. You just got to sit around and hum and wait <laughs> um, for it to wear off. And sometimes here at the gym, 
my tablets wear off and I take them. I'm supposed to take them four hourly, but uh, sometimes they don't kick in for an hour, two hours even. So I just hang around and wait until, uh, until they kick in. But considering Adrian received his Parkinson's diagnosis around 14 years ago, he still says his symptoms have been slow to progress. My tremor hasn't increased. People look at me and they say, you haven't changed at all. And that's the image I like to project. <laughs> but coming from the other side, uh, I know that this, uh, it's going on. So I keep, I keep doing my exercises. Because Parkinson's is a neurodegenerative condition that occurs over the rest of their life. The important thing is for people with Parkinson's to self-manage or for their healthcare providers to start encouraging these people to self-manage their condition, to try and be as active as possible. But knowing that because the disease will change, the exercise prescription and physical activity support will also need to change to change the exercise prescription to suit their needs. It's self-empowering, that's the beauty of it. There's not many diseases you can take charge of, um, of your symptoms, but this is one of them, and uh, it's so easy to do. It's just a matter of uh, psyching yourself up to it and committing yourself to a, um, to a different lifestyle. And for those who get involved with exercise programs like Punch and Paco's, the benefits aren't just for the body. People who've got Parkinson's are often depressed, anxious. Their mood is elevated by these exercises. And if you ask them the next day, how do you feel? They mightn't be able to put their finger on it, but they'd say, oh, I feel good. You know, um, I felt like getting up this morning. I did this, I did that, which is very uh, heartwarming to hear. Um, so they're little victories. But again, I often say we can't win the war yet. Uh, there's no cure for it, but we can win some battles. And when we win the battles, that gives us hope. Health is made possible with the support of the University of Technology Sydney, 2SER Radio in Sydney, and heard around the country on the Community Radio Network. You can get Think Health wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. I'm Nina Kopel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>